Yes, so we um, are nearing the end of the book of Exodus. Uh, Only one more week left. Um, As we've went through the book of Exodus, we've seen some amazing things as we've followed their story of redemption. Just an epic story, formational, foundational in the Jewish faith and the Christian faith. We have seen the Israelites as slaves in Egypt, delivered miraculously out of captivity and bondage. Pharaoh didn't want to let them go. You know, oppressors never do. Uh, He wanted to keep his free capital, um, but through the plagues, the they're released. Um, they, they make it a little ways to the Red Sea. Then Pharaoh changes his mind, chases out after them. They have their backs against the wall, literally and metaphorically. God opens the Red Sea before them. They journey through the desert. They face hunger and thirst. God provides for them, bringing manna down from heaven, water from the rock. At Mount Sinai, they form the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments. Commandments. Moses has those tablets. We often think of those tablets as like numbers one through five on one. The other tablet is numbers six through ten. They're actually, you know, all ten on each one. There are two copies of a contract. When you do something important, you know, each party, you know, the seller and the buyer gets a copy of the contract. God says, you know what? Both copies are for you. I don't need my copy. I I know what I'm doing. I'm secure. My end of the bargain is stable. You take both copies. So they're forming this new way of life in chapters 27, 28, 29. Some we haven't gone over yet. They have the instructions of how to build the Ark of the Covenant. That's gonna, God's presence is going to rest with them there. And uh, this tabernacle, it's going to be in the center of their, their camp, right in the middle, right in the heart of it all, is going to be the place where they worship God. And God's provided for all of this. When they left Egypt, God told them, hey, last thing, Take some gold from from your slave masters. So now they're in the middle of the desert. They have gold to build this this temple. God's planned it all. He's thought it all out. The trip is going well at this point in time. They're forming a new way to live. They're forming this amazing worship community that knows who God is and is going to worship him in, in closeness, knowing who he is right in the center of their community. God's got it all planned out all worked out from the beginning, it's going good, right? You know, this, last weekend I took um, almost 20 of our teens to a youth retreat. It was a great trip. You know, we drove down four and a half hours, smooth trip. It might not have felt fast to everyone in the cars, but it was a smooth trip. We get there, they put us up in like, you know, their little hotel thing, so we didn't even need the sleeping bags and pillows and towels and blankets that we had brought very, very cushy by, by these camp standards. It was great. We had some good worship sessions, great speakers. Um, they gave all 400 vineyard youth from the region a, a Bible verse, and we prayed into that individually. Lots of hanging out time. You know, we, we chilled. We, we bonded. These trips are very bonding. We definitely bonded. A uh, good two and a half days together. Drive back, smooth trip back. I've seen off the last kid, I'm like, Ah, I feel good. That was a good trip. Everything went well. I unpack my suitcase. I get my suitcase out of my car. I'm like, ah, I just feel good. I mean, my suitcase feels light, and my suitcase really does feel light. Huh. I'd taken my laptop out and put it in a very safe, secure spot where no one would mess with it nor remember it. So uh, these guys... These are handwritten notes. 
Uh, thankfully, my uh, laptop actually arrived in the mail uh, yesterday, so we're, we're all good on that. But the trip went well, and then at the very last minute, ah, man. So the Israelites, their trip has gone well. God's delivered them, provided for them, and we get to see what happens next. Let's pray as we turn to Scripture. And Jesus, we thank you for what we've seen you do uh, in the life of the uh, Hebrew people and the story of Exodus, Jesus, um, bringing them into what you have for them. And right now, this morning, we surrender ourselves to you, to the journey that you have us on. Jesus, we know you have good things for us, and we believe this morning that you are bringing us into our own promised land both individually and as a community, Jesus. You are bringing us into good things. You're bringing us into the place that you want us to live and reside and be productive and purposeful for your kingdom. So we say yes to you this morning. Yes to our journey in you this morning. Would you come, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts as we read Scripture this morning? Would we not just be hearers of the Word, but doers? And we welcome you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in chapter 32 this morning. If you look in your Bibles, there are only a few more pages left in Exodus. Chapter 32, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, it was about 40 days probably, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can go before us. Make plural gods to to lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us out from the land of Egypt. This fellow is, you know, not, not a compliment really. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. They had just taken a free will offering of gold to build the tabernacle. Now they're taking another free will collection of gold. Again, all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel! These are the gods who brought us and who brought you out of the land of Israel. You know, the tabernacle portrayed God as a royal personage. This portrays God as, as an animal. Bulls and calves were common symbols in the ancient Near East, and they, they symbolized like a, a, a footstool uh, for the gods, something that would usher in the, the presence of whatever uh, various gods. When Aaron saw how excited the people were, he built an altar in front of the calf. So we've got the uh, calf, then the altar. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings to make their sacrifices. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. So they've basically undone all their worship to the Lord. The Lord, you know, had provided them gold. You take the gold, make, you know, a worship place. They, they did sacrifices for, for the Lord. Uh, they had festivals that the Lord or, ordained. So, I mean, they've basically 
It's like taking your mistress and exactly recreating your first date. You do this, 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 same order, and, and then they end with, with a festival. You know, it's topping it off with the exact same bottle of champagne and a toast to the future. That's all a lie. They're following the same things they do to worship the Lord, except it's to worship a false god. Now, was this an outright rebellion? Did they say, you know what? Well, we don't like the, this, this God of Israel. We don't like this Yahweh. We're just we're going to start again. We want a new religion. Let's kick Yahweh to the curb. Or were they just kind of panicked? They had asked Moses to be the one who went before them and talked to God. Things got a little too intense at Mount Sinai. They got a little freaked out. They're like, ah, we can't handle this. Moses, you be the one to talk to God for us. Just you. We don't want to do that ourselves. Your job to go and talk to God. Now, the guy who talks to God for them is a little MIA. Where is he? We can't talk to God for ourselves. That was Moses' job. So they panic and they create a false God to, to mediate, to go between them with God. But whether it was panic or whether it was rebellion, what they've created is is an alternate point of contact with real similarities. You know, worship place, sacrifice, festival, some real similarities um, to to what they did with, with God. Another way of getting divine help for their journey. They undid what the Exodus did. The Israelites have replaced God They've reversed the tabernacle. They've even rewritten their rescue story from Egypt. They wanted a shortcut, a quick fix, instant gratification to their destination. They wanted help. They wanted that, that walking escalator at the airport that you just takes you right where you need to go. They said, who will go before us? Who will go before us? Who will lead us? And it's very pragmatic. I don't think it's that they, they just felt this longing desire in their heart to worship. And they say, my soul longs to, to worship. What is around that I can bow down before and prostrate myself before? I must worship something. It was pragmatic. They wanted to get to the promised land faster. You can't entirely fault them for that, right? It had been a long journey. They say, what is going to take us to that destination, to that place that we need to go to? They wanted to get to the promised land. They got nervous. It was a long wait. And they made something else to go before them. We ourselves have no shortage of shortcuts, substitutes, alternates. In other words, idols. We have a lot to choose from. We, we can choose from, for instance, pleasure, entertainment, escapism. Uh, If our destination is just a little happiness in life, some Netflix ought to get us there, right? The average American watches four hours of TV. That's substantial. Video games, uh, entertainment, just escaping, getting out of ordinary life. And happiness is good and entertainment is good. But entertainment or food or escapism will not get us to that destination that we are trying to reach. Money's good. We need money. Money's a good thing. Um, but what do we think that money will accomplish for us? Will it pay our bills, allow us to be generous, or is it going to attain for us the, the success and status and stability and security that we long for? 
the Israelites looked to the golden calf to get them into the promised land? Well, money can buy you a, a ticket to Hawaii and some toys that will impress your friends. Speaking of friends and other good things, um, relationships can be a, a false thing that we put our trust and our hope in to get us to our destination. Marriage, our kids, our extended family, that extended clan that we can place our identity in. Um, I was talking with some friends from college recently, and um, you know, I really enjoy them, and we, we don't talk that, that often. And we were talking about a mutual friend, and, and these friends said, oh, it's, it's been tough for her. I'm like, really? You know, I see her on, on Facebook. It, it looks like she really likes her job. Oh, yeah, she's got a great job, Re- really likes her job. Oh, okay, well, well, what's wrong? It's like, oh, she's single. Like, I see her posting things. She gets out and does, oh, yeah, yep, she did this and that and traveled there. I'm just truly, genuinely confused what they could be talking about. Like, oh, yeah, she's traveling, she's doing this, but she doesn't have a husband. I'm, I'm just confused as to really what the problem is. And, um, you know, maybe she's had some very tough circumstances and really wants to get married. That's, you know, um, I, I understand that. Um, but you know what the next topic of our conversation was in our little catch-up? Their husbands. And how their husbands don't do this and don't do that and have disappointed them in this way and that way. I'm like, you know what? I think there might be a connection here. You have to have a husband to be happy. And my husband doesn't make me happy. We can't place our hope in relationships. Relationships will not fulfill us. Relationships will not save us. They won't get us to that destination that we want to get to. Other people can't fulfill us. Next one that I think we see sometimes is placing our hope uh, in our country, in our ethnic identity, um, in our nationality. Um, C.S. Lewis, he was the beloved uh, author of the Narnia series. He wrote about this in a little background on C.S. Lewis. He lived in England after the World Wars, so he lived in the good country after they defeated the bad country at great personal cost to themselves. And he says that one way to get people to stop following Jesus wholeheartedly is to place their hope in either uh, patriotism or, or pacifism. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter which run, left, right, doesn't, doesn't matter. And combine religion and your, your um, political uh, opinions and then just kind of back off on the God part a little bit and voila, you're left with not following Jesus 100%. God and country, back off on, on the God part. I saw, you know, again on, on Facebook, one of my friends who I like and respect very much, he, he posted and he said, I believe in two documents, the Bible and the Constitution. Like, friends, they should not be in the same breath. They are not equal whatsoever. We can't place our confidence in a country. I have lived many years in other countries. I like living in this country. I'm glad I live in this country. But I can't put my stock in this country or any other country. I put my stock wholeheartedly in the kingdom of God and work for the kingdom of God here and everywhere. And the last one, which I think is, is very common, I especially... Um, you know, maybe more in people in their 30s or 40s, um, is self or self-improvement. And there can be Christians who sit in their pews on Sunday 
and are basically like, you know, I am who I am, and God will change me if he wants to. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. Let's see God make me into a better person. Right? That's not good either. But we can't buy into this gospel of self-improvement that we can fix ourselves. We, myself, yourself, we are, are the vessel in which we experience all of life. You know, I am the, the filter through which I experience God. I want it to be, be good. You know, I need to be emotionally differentiated, um, emotionally healthy. I need to be physically healthy, right? Um, but we can't find our salvation in fixing ourselves. We can't fix ourselves totally and completely, and we can't place our hope and our trust in fixing ourselves. You know, I think I have improved in the last couple of years. I'm thankful that I have improved in the last couple of years. I think my uh, emotional reactivity, I've stopped reacting quite as much. I think I've gained more peace and and contentment. You know, we adopted kids. I started eating much healthier. It totally, you know, with their eating histories, redid how we, what we stock in our our kitchen. Um, You know, because of them, I've worked with my spiritual director on you know, peace and contentment and and living in the moment. But it's been because of adopting kids. It's been in the service of others. It's not been because I thought, well, I need to work on myself and I need to get better. It's been in the service of others. You know, Christian self-improvement is about yielding and receiving. It's not about striving and performing. We follow Jesus and we cooperate with him and the work that he wants to do in us. So idols are really, they're anything that we put our hope in instead of God. Anything that we look to to get us to that destination. What are your idols? What do you think is going to get you to that place of fulfillment and purpose? See, um, Tim Keller wrote a great book called Counterfeit Gods, and he says that we can find our idols by looking at either our daydreams or our nightmares. That our idols, the things we worship, the things we look to, will, will fill our dreams. It's what we fantasize about. It's what we imagine. What are our daydreams? What do we dream about in our life? What's our imaginary world? Alternatively, we fear losing our idols. And they also make up our nightmares because we, we think we have to have that. We must have that. We have to have that to have a good, satisfied, fulfilled life. So what do we fear losing? What do we think we couldn't bear if we lost? Counterfeit gods have control over us since we feel like without them our life would be meaningless. Tim Keller says, when anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness, your self-worth, it's essentially an idol. When such a thing is threatened, we typically react in anger to protect it. For me, uh, my idol has been success, making it. You would have thought I was more successful prior to this, but oh well. Um, It's uh, been success, competency. Um, I'm competitive. Um, not not overly so, um, but you know what? Games are just more fun when you're winning. Come on, right? Anyone else? If I 
if I'm nowhere near close to winning a game, let's have a conversation. Let's talk. You know what? You can just take my turn. I'm going to go get a snack in the kitchen. But if I could win this thing, I'm playing a game. Don't distract me. I'm, I'm all in. I'm also competitive about things that no one else cares about. I'm so competitive about the gas mileage on my car. I mean, I, I go to a thrift store. I really like thrift store shopping, and I'll, I'll tally up my fines and how cheap they were and, and tell my husband the cost of every single item and how proud he should be of me for saving us money and his eyes like glaze over. But I'm competitive about this stuff that no one else cares about. <laughs> I'll tell you my finds next time. <laughs> but God has had to smash some of these idols for me. I think it started, I was in college, and I got a D in a class. And I had worked hard in this class. I was a freshman, I thought I was way smarter than I was, took too difficult of a course load, well, whatever. And um, my father had to come up and I was sitting in an office building in the administration building to see whether I could keep my scholarships, i.e. stay in college, if I could keep my scholarships with having gotten a failing grade. And as I sat in the administration building, my worldview started to shift. Because I had studied late, late nights, 5 a.m. nights, in the basement of the library. I had worked hard, and I had failed. And I saw my worldview, this teenage fantasy, that with hard work and determination, I could accomplish anything. I started to see that crumble. It was embarrassing. I took a uh, teaching job in my late 20s at a uh, charter school. Um, I had some very successful uh, high school classrooms uh, before. And uh, I, I really believed in this charter school. I've been teaching in the public schools prior. Um, the city which I was teaching in no longer has um, public schools. They um, plowed them all under. They had two very large high schools and six or eight middle schools, and they had been in a state of academic emergency for decades, and they just plowed them under, and um, the government um, gave everything to a charter school company. Um, but I, I took a job teaching middle school with a charter school. Uh, and I really believed that I could go in and I could, you know, turn this classroom around. And whew, it was awful, guys. I, I, I couldn't. I was their fourth teacher um, in the year. I started in the middle of September, and um, I made it for the year. Um, but it, I, yeah, it did not go well. I felt like I had failed consistently, like every single day, more or less, for an entire school year. But it was a good thing that God smashed those idols for me. Because ultimately, idols fail us. It was a good thing that I failed in high school. It was a good thing that I failed at that teaching job. Tim Keller says that uh, anything we place, our, our hope and our trust, and that we look for, for a happiness and self-worth, that only God can give to us, eventually it will fail to deliver and break our hearts. Counterfeit gods disappear when we need them the most and they disappoint us, sometimes destructively so. They are dangerous and flimsy and they are dangerous flotation devices for our souls. 
It is a good thing that God smashes our flimsy idols and tears up our counterfeit worship objects. Because when God deals with our counterfeit gods, when he tears those things away, then we can continue our journey with the real God. This whole episode, this chapter in the Israelites' life is all about their their rebellion, their, their turning away to other things, they're getting distracted right when they should be on track. It's about Moses mediating, making things right, and then God restoring it. So what what happens next in the story? The golden calf happens. God is mad about it. God says, you know what? If that's what you want, fine. Okay, you don't want me, I'll be done with you. C.S. Lewis says there are two types of people in the world. Those to whom God, those to whom say in the end, to God, thy will be done. Those to whom God says, your will be done. Right? So the Israelites, they've turned away. They're saying, nah-uh. God says, okay, I take you up on that. Nah-uh. Moses goes, he pleads for the Israelites. He begs for them. He says, please relent. He goes down the, the mountain. He, he takes the tablets. He smashes them. He smashes the golden calf. He grinds up the golden calf into powder, puts it in water, makes them drink the golden calf water. Uh, he says, okay, guys, who's with the Lord? Who's with me? Only the Levites come to him. Then they go through the camp. They kill 3,000 men. Moses goes back up the mountain, intercedes with God, says, God, please continue this journey. Um, God says an angel will lead them into the promised land. Moses says, no, we need you. We need you to take us. God says, all right then. He gives them fresh instruction. Moses asks to see God's face, his glory. God shows Moses his glory. His face shines like the sun. They rebuild and they go on their journey with the presence of the Lord leading them. So we see Moses mediating, God sticking to his plan with the Israelites, um, and we, we see restoration. Let's talk about what Moses does. Verse 31 and 32, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They have made gods of gold for themselves. But now if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, erase my name from the record you have taken. He says, you know, if you won't forgive them, just just kill me. Take me instead. Moses is starting to do what he was so hesitant to do at the beginning. At the beginning, he said, nuh-uh, not me. Anybody else, I see your burning bush. Take take somebody else. Choose somebody else for the job. And now he's, he's pleading for them. He's begging for the Israelites. He's standing in the gap for them. So God relents. Ultimately, the journey continues. And the emphasis here is not on God changing his mind, is not on God's psyche, whatever's going on there that's really kind of above the pay grade of of even the Bible. The emphasis is on what Moses is doing. The emphasis on Moses is mediating. Uh, And Moses says, take my life. And God says, no, you're not the right man for that job, Moses. You, you couldn't handle it. Uh, you can't carry the weight of the, the people's guilt. Um, you're not pure and blameless. The Hebrew scriptures prescribe pure and blameless like sacrifices for, for sin offerings. You don't have the capital to see this thing 
through to the job. Thanks, but no thanks, Moses. Ultimately, that's a job that God reserves for himself. God's going to do that himself. God's going to take that burden. He will be worthy and able and capable to carry that burden, to see it through to the end. That is a role that God reserves for himself. This whole incident is uh, not easy to understand, to wrestle with, with the implications of it, but we do see the gravity of spitting in God's face, and we see the magnitude of God's restoration. It's a serious sin, but God has a serious plan to deal with it. We're appointed to Jesus in his death for us and his greater restoration for us in rising again and making a way forwards from even death. We ultimately see this in Jesus, that what holds us back is restored even greater in Jesus' resurrection. After the failure, there's a big punishment. But then the presence of God goes with them. Moses gets to see the glory of God. And we see this as a principle again and again throughout Scripture, that the restoration is always greater. And we can trust this in our own lives. When we fail, when we make big mistakes, when we spit in God's face, when we turn aside, the restoration is always greater greater. We have trouble believing it, but the Israelites, Moses, saw the face of God, and then the presence of God went with them. The restoration was greater. Let's look at the end uh, real quick. Uh, One day Moses said to the Lord, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence sets us among us, sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, Then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one will see me and live. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face you will not see. So Moses gets this amazing, incredible experience with the Lord because he starts out and he says, verse 33, 15, he says, if you do not go with us, if you do not go with us, I don't even want to go. The Israelites, they said, let's make other gods to lead us. Let's make other gods to go before us. Moses, he says, if you don't go with me, we don't go. It's the difference between dedication and idolatry. The Israelites are like, what will get us to where we want to go? Who will take us? Well, anyone can take us. Who will get us to where we want to go? Moses said, 
if you don't lead us, if you don't take us, we're not going anywhere. He said, I only want to do life with you. I only want the fullness of doing this journey with God, the fullness of a Holy Spirit-filled life. He said, I don't want an angel to lead us. I don't want a nice little normal Christian life. I'm dedicated. I'm devoted. Otherwise, I'm just going to plop down here. I'm going to stay here. I want the presence of God to go with me. Moses was dedicated, and he saw the glory of God. God's goodness passed before him, and his face shone like the sun. God's glory, it's the goodness of God, it's his kindness, it's his love, it's his compassion, it's his power, it's his tenderness, it's what we were created from and created for. God's glory is is the love that changes everything. It's almost like tangible. It's his kindness that that just shines sunlight on a cold winter's day. It's it's the presence that leads us into our own promised lands, the expansive places for our souls. Glory is who God is, and it's a new land for us to live in. But we do not reach glory in the beginning. We start to move into that place of glory when we say, like Moses said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm 100% in. I will only go if you lead me. When we say, God, I cast my lot with you, 100%, there is no backup plan. However long it takes, I will wait 40 days. I will wait. There is no backup plan for me. There is no alternate route. Then we get to experience more and more of the glory and the goodness of God and who he is. Let's stand together this morning. The worship team is going to come on back and lead us in uh, some worship. This morning we want to say with Moses that we are dedicated. That there's no substitute, there's no shortcut. Because we know a little bit of how good God is and how worth it following Jesus is. There is no glory anywhere else. There's substitutes, there's pleasure, there's money, there's friendships, there are good things, but there's no glory anywhere else. The deep kindness of God that speaks to our souls and restores our souls. It's only found in Jesus. Let's pray together as...